Our scripture reading today will be from Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. Acts 5, 12 to 42. This is the word of God. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they had heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men inside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. When they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Good morning, Redeemer. Um, my name is Luke Hembry. I'm on staff with Campus Outreach, college ministry over at Mississippi State. Um, before I dive into the text this morning, I'm actually going to start with a little story. So I grew up in North Alabama. I grew up on a cattle farm. Um, and so with that came like the things that a 12 and 13 year old typically probably doesn't do at the age of 12 and 13. I'm driving trucks. I'm driving tractors. The occasional dump truck, which as I look back in retrospect at what my parents let me did, I was like, I don't know how wise that was. And so the way our farm is laid out is the house sits up on the front. And then it kind of goes down into this hill, this, or this valley, ravine at the bottom, and back up another hill to the backside of the property. And there's a large ditch in the middle of that valley. And so, at the age of 13, I had some friends over to my house, and they're like, hey, let's take the truck and go to the backside of the property. And I distinctively remember my father looking at me and saying, don't get in the truck, don't drive it. So, he leaves to go run an errand, and what do you think me and my friends did? We got in the truck, and we headed off down the pasture. Next thing I know, we're in the ditch, right? I, I Literally, I drove a truck into a ditch at the age of 13. Hindsight, that is my fault. I think it's also my dad's fault for letting me drive at 13. Um, I distinctively remember a pretty hard conversation that came after that where, hey, I gave you a command. I gave you something to do, and you didn't obey. You didn't listen. And the reality is that did not turn out super well for me or for the truck, All right? And so what, what's this have to do with the passage we just got done looking, just got done reading? What's this have to do with us today is I think there's a lot of parallels in this passage in Acts, and Kevin, Kevin gave me a really big passage, so I tried to boil it down to one big theme that I could take away from it. And, and the theme I took away and what I want us to focus on this morning is, are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? And so I think about my own life, I think about that story. My father gave me a command to obey, and I didn't obey it. I listened to man, I listened to my friends. It got me in a lot of trouble, right? Same for us today as Christians is, are we going to obey God? Are we gonna obey our heavenly father, or are we gonna obey man? And so, the first instance of this that I get is from the very first part of our text. So, this would be Acts 12, chapter, Acts 5, chapter 12, through verses 21. And if we get a little context, if we go back, right, it says they're in Solomon's, Solomon's portico, right, which has actually already been referenced prior in the book of Acts. This is where Peter starts preaching. This is where a man has been healed. Historians, commentators would say this is probably a place where a lot of the Christians in that day hung out. That's where they spent time. And it's kind of funny, as I was like reading this passage, it says all these miraculous works are happening, right? In the book of Acts, we've seen all these supernatural things that have happened. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's poured out, thousands of people come to faith in Christ, start trying to follow Jesus. We have this lame man that's been healed. All these supernatural works are happening, and it's funny, as you notice, it says the apostles are in the portico doing these things, and everyone's kind of like standing back here watching, right? I don't, I don't want to be a part of it. I'm kind of observing, and I think part of that's because of what Daniel preached on last Sunday is you get this picture of 
Barnabas, really faithful, and then you get Ananias and Sapphira, and God, God burned them up, killed them on the spot. And so there's these believers that's like, I really like what's going on. I don't really know what I think about it. Do I really want to step up there? Do I really want to be a part of it? And you see these supernatural works are happening, right? Acts 5.14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. Acts 5.16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Like so much so that it says they were hoping that Peter's shadow would go over them and it would heal them. There's supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and what God is doing in this time. And shocker, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, as we've already seen earlier in Acts, they don't like what's going on. They're really upset about it. They're really frustrated. And it says they were filled with jealousy and they threw them in prison. And this narrative, if you go back and read Acts 3 through 4, it actually mirrors a lot of that story in some ways. Apostles are doing some crazy stuff. Peter's preaching the gospel. The religious leaders don't like it. They get frustrated and they throw them in prison. But as we get to Acts 5, this tension and frustration continues to grow. In Acts 4, it says they were annoyed, right? It's like, yeah, this is kind of frustrating. What these guys are doing, it's annoying to our agenda, to what we want to do. And by this point in Acts 5, 17, it's grown to full-blown jealousy. And if you go back to the original Greek, the word they use for jealousy is zealos, which is where we get our English word zealous from. And it would be translated better as a zealous anger. These guys are just livid at what the apostles are doing. So think about this for a second. These guys get arrested and thrown in prison. And for some of them, they're like repeat offenders. Like Peter and John kind of looking at each other and it's like, man, we're back here again. We haven't been there that long. And they're already back in prison. This angel shows up, gets them out of prison. This like, again, supernatural, miraculous event. And the angel looks at him and says, hey, the thing you just got done doing that got you thrown in here, I want you to go back to the temple and keep doing it. Just think about that for a second. Like as I've read this passage, studied it, getting ready to come in here and talk about it this morning, I like wrestled with this. I'm like, I'll be honest, I've seen God do some cool stuff. I got thrown in prison twice in a couple weeks span. I think I'm going to the house. I don't think I'm going to go back to the temple, right? Think about this for a second. You're faced with a choice. Am I going to obey God? And am I going to obey man? And this angel gets these guys out of prison and says, hey, the very thing that you got arrested for, the very thing that got you thrown in here, I want you to go right back to the temple now. Be there in the morning when people start showing up. I want you to start doing the very thing that got you arrested. And they did it. Just, just think about that for a second. Put, put yourself in the apostle's place. You're sitting in a prison cell, some of you for the second time, and this angel shows up and says, hey, I want you to go do the very thing that got you arrested. Because like, I think about that, and I wrestle with my own heart in that. I don't know if I'm going back to the temple. Yet, in the face of this, these men gave us a good example. Do I obey God, or do I obey man? In the face of opposition, the face of persecution, the face of imprisonment, these men chose to obey God rather than man and to go back to the temple at the beginning of the day and proclaim the gospel. 
These men obviously were not concerned for their safety. They returned to the very spot where they had been arrested for preaching the same words. So what's this mean for us? I think there's a lot of implications that could be drawn for our own lives, but first and foremost, we have to ask the question, in the face of persecution, of presenting the gospel message, are we going to be faithful to keep going forward in that? I, th- I think for us in the South and the church, most of us, that probably may not mean imprisonment. For some of you, it might one day. kind of hope it does. But I don't think that's going to mean imprisonment. I don't think that's going to mean exactly that. But I do think it means there's going to be hardship, right? We, we currently still live in a culture where there's some positivity to being a Christian, to being a believer. There's some cultural positivity to that. I think we're on a track culturally where that's not going to be the case. So, in the face of social ostracization, like I'm going to be a social outcast, people aren't going to like me, people might say some mean things to me, are we going to persevere in the face of persecution and be bold with the gospel message? And the reality is we, we shouldn't be super shocked that this is the case and that this would happen to us because Jesus actually gave us a heads up that was going to come, that was going to happen. John 15, verses 18 through 19, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Believers, brothers, sisters, we should not be shocked if persecution and hardship comes your way if I'm faithfully proclaiming the gospel and trying to walk with Jesus. We shouldn't be shocked by that. We shouldn't be surprised. First example, are we going to obey God? Are we going to obey man? The very thing that got these dudes thrown in prison, when they got free, they went right back to doing it. Secondly, Their interaction with the religious leaders also gives us another example of, are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? And and as Luke's writing the final part of this story, it it seems that there's a little bit of irony when it comes to the way he describes the religious leaders. Look back with me at verses 21 through 24. I'm going to reread those for us. It says, Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Keep in mind, a couple verses earlier, these dudes have already been freed and are long gone. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, and so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Like, think about this for a second. These guys were so angry at these guys proclaiming the gospel, they went and threw them in prison again, so that when they show up the next morning to go question them, they're gone. And where are they? The whole time they're looking for them, they're already back in the temple proclaiming the gospel. Is that not wild? Like, as you think about that, the boldness that they have, and then you also got to think about how much more frustrated are these Sadducees and Pharisees now? right? And so they go, they send for them, and they bring these guys back, arrest them again in a much more gentle way because they're afraid of what the people are going to do to them. 
They bring them back for interrogation and to question them. And as they're brought back before the high priest for questioning, again, they're faced with this same question. Are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? And Peter answers this really clearly in verse 29 when he says, we must obey God rather than men. In the face of the men that wanted to kill them, in the face of the men that had arrested them and imprisoned them multiple times, Peter looks them dead in the face and the first thing he says is, we got to obey God. We can't obey man. One commentator speaking on this passage states that Peter's reply to the accusation is a plain and direct reaffirmation of the presidents and commands of God take way higher role in their lives than a human command. It's the price of being a Christian that one must be prepared to obey God rather than men and bear the cost of doing so. When Peter makes this bold statement in the face of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we must obey God rather than man, he doesn't know what these guys are going to do next. They had every right and could have killed him right there on the spot. They didn't, but Peter didn't know that. He didn't know what was coming next. And he leads in with this bold, we must obey God rather than man. And from that line on, Peter dives straight into proclaiming the gospel right in the face of these Sadducees and Pharisees. And so much so, he looks him dead in the face and says, hey, by the way, the Je Jesus, the guy you killed. And that's actually a line that's repeated over and over again in the book of Acts as you watch the apostles and their interactions with the Sadducees and the Pharisees is, hey, by the way, this guy Jesus that you killed. Could you imagine like receiving that? Like I'm sitting here hearing this guy that I'm like, I'm mad at the message he's proclaiming. And then he looks at me and says, hey, by the way, you're the one that killed him. I don't like that. I could imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be quite frustrated with this. That he looks at him and says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. In the face of this persecution and at the hands of the men that wanted them dead, Peter launches straight into a bold gospel proclamation at the heels of explaining, hey, we've been trusted with a message and I got to obey God and present that message. They cannot obey man. They cannot silence the message of reconciliation that has been entrusted to them. And as we see in this text, these, these guys at this point are ready to kill them. It's like, hey, we're done with this. Let's get rid of these dudes. And at this point, Gamaliel, the leader of the Pharisees, speaks up. And his interaction and his discourse with these guys is pretty interesting. It's like, hey, don't kill them. Let's just send them outside for a minute, and I want to talk to you. This guy, if you read later on in Acts, Paul, Saul, who became Paul, was actually one of his like shining pupils, right? Paul sat under the teaching of Gamaliel. He was one of the most respected, well-versed teachers of the law by the Pharisees and Sadducees standards. So this man, he's pretty familiar with the scriptures. He would know the Old Testament law pretty well. And he basically looks at him and says, hey guys, if this is of man, it ain't going to happen, right? It's going to fail. If this is just their crazy idea that they've come up with, it's never going to happen. But if it's of God, you can't stop it. 
And this is a guy that's been really versed with the Old Testament, right? He's read the scriptures. He knows God shows up. He knows God works. And he also knows, hey, if God wants to do something, God's going to accomplish it. And so he kind of gives them this like ominous warning that's like, hey, maybe you should just let them see what happens. And he gives them these examples, right? These other guys came, they rose up, people followed them. It failed, it didn't work. If it's of man, it'll fail. But if this is of God, you can't stop it. And you might even be found opposing him. So they don't kill them. They just beat them and they send them out. And, and Kevin mentioned this verse, I think probably two weeks ago, verses 41 and 42. These guys have just gotten beat. They've been arrested. They've been imprisoned. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Arrested, imprisoned, beaten, faced with death, and they left excited. They left really happy. Hey, I, get to, I rejoice. I'm counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ, and I'm so excited about it that I can't quit talking about it. Just think with me for a second. Would that be your reaction that be my, I don't think that's going to be my reaction. That should challenge us. At the end of this narrative, these guys leave rejoicing to suffer for Christ. They left rejoicing in that. Why? These guys were committed to a commanding, they were committed to obeying the command God had placed on them, and they were not committed to obeying man. They valued obeying God more than man. And the story gives us a beautiful picture into the idea of obeying God in the face of much hardship instead of bowing to fear and obeying man. For most of us, I don't think it's going to look like, hey, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be imprisoned. But I do think there's going to be hardships and persecutions that come along for us as believers as we try to faithfully proclaim the gospel message. And in those instances... We're going to be faced with the question, am I going to obey God? Am I going to pursue and persevere the gospel message? Or am I going to obey man and I'm going to shy away from that? So, church, what's this mean for us? How do we do this? First and foremost, the reality is, in and of yourself, in and of myself, we don't contain the ability to obey God. We're sinful, we're broken, we're messy. And in our nature, we're not naturally going to go towards God. We're not going to naturally choose to obey God. So what's that mean for us? we got to have somebody that did perfectly obey God. His name's Jesus. John 17, 3 through 4, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer for the cross. And he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. There's one person that's perfectly obeyed God and perfectly completed all the plans and things God had given him to do, and his name is Jesus. And without Jesus, 
we have no shot at trying to obey God. Think about this. If you go back and look in Acts, got it right here in front of me, Peter launches in into the sermon, and in verse 32 he says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Think about this. What is empowering the apostles to obey God in the face of persecution? They got the Holy Spirit. They have God with them. Jesus is what enables us to perfectly obey God. So, if you're in the room and you're like, I don't really know what I think about Jesus. I don't really know what I think about God. Sounds nice. Sounds good. You and of yourself are not capable of obeying God. You have to have a mediator. You have to have one who was perfect and did so himself. That's why we need Jesus. Secondly, for those of you that would say, I'm in Christ, I have a relationship with Christ, for the church, we have a mission that's been given to us by God to obey, and it's the same mission that these apostles had in Acts 5. If you want to flip over in your Bible, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is the Great Commission. This is the last mission commission Jesus gives to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Quick note before I dive into the command given. What enables someone to fulfill the command and the mission Christ gave? He states it really clearly in verse 20. I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ is the one that enables us and empowers us to move out and obey God in the mission and commission he gave to the apostles thousands of years ago and he gave to us in this church this morning. What, what is the mission? What is the commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, right? And in this, in this command, right, I'm not a big English guy, not a big major in that, but the imperative, right, the verb that gives action, most people are like, it means go. So it means I got to go somewhere to make disciples. I got to go across the country. I got to go overseas and make disciples. And for some of you, I hope that's the case. That is what happens. That's actually not the imperative command in this verse. If you go back to the original language, the imperative verb is make. Make disciples. And that the go could actually be implied as, as you are going through life, make disciples. Share the gospel. So what's that mean for us? Hopefully for some of us it means maybe you will go. Maybe you will go overseas. Maybe you will go to another country, another context, and proclaim the gospel. For a lot of us, What's it mean that as we are going through our daily lives as parents, as children, in our marketplace jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our families, what does it look like to make disciples as I'm going throughout my life? That's the command that's been given. This command was for the apostles. It's also for us today and for all Christians throughout all of history and all of time. It's not about going cross-culturally. It's not about going to another context. And maybe it means I'm going to my neighbor next door 
Maybe it means I'm going to my child. Maybe it means I'm going to my parents. Whatever the context God has placed you in, in this season of your life, what does it look like for you to make disciples? What does it look like for you to share the gospel and make disciples? So church, the question is not what is our mission? What have we been asked to obey by God? The question is, are we going to obey God in the command that he's clearly outlined for us in Scripture? Or are we going to obey man and shy away from God's command and mission that's been placed on our lives? Let me pray. Father, you are so good and so gracious. God, we thank you that you are the one that empowers and enables us to seek you. You're the one that empowers and enables us to fulfill the command and the missions you've placed on our lives. Father, I pray that we would really wrestle with this reality in the face of hardship, in the face of tough things, when trying to share the gospel feels awkward and uncomfortable. God, we, I pray, Lord, as a church, that we would obey you, that we would step out, that we would risk, that we would be bold in proclaiming the gospel, just as the apostles gave us a good example of. God, there are the eternities and the stakes of men and women's lives on the line. God, I pray that we would be committed to this mission and vision. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.